we're going to talk about money today and wisdom in regards to or wisdom with money. But it's not really about money. It's ultimately about who is God in your life. What is God in your life? And when we believe that, do we believe what God says about money? Are we wise with money? Are we foolish with money? Like, and this can be, like, this is a topic that almost, like, none of us can get away from. Like, you know, next week, just forewarned, we're going to talk about wisdom with sex. Because Proverbs and the Song of, and, well, the Song of Solomon does, but Proverbs and Solomon uh, talks a lot about that topic, uh, sexual purity. Um, and so, just, for, like, we're going to talk about that next week. And um, so, if you have children, you don't want them to hear, like, uh, you know, whatever you've decided. But just be forewarned, next week, we're going to talk about that. But today is about money. And this is a topic that, um, that we can't get away from. Like the, the, it, it impacts every one of us. We live in the most prosperous country. We're so prosperous. And, you know, we can look around in our country and we can see a lot of things wrong with it. But if you've ever had an opportunity to travel the world, Southeast Asia, into Africa, places like in parts of Europe, um, Eastern Europe, and you've seen, like, we live in a prosperous nation. You know, a quote I read from uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon years ago, but he said, afflictions are a great trial, but there is no trial like prosperity. Listen to that. Afflictions are a great trial, but there is no trial like prosperity. Because in our prosperity, we often don't realize our utter dependence on God. We forget that everything that we have, we are just being stewards. It's not really ours. It's so hard to remember that, though. We are tempted to find security in money. We're tempted to, to value it as something that is not. We're tempted to try to find fulfillment in money. And, and it's not always just about the money, but it's what money can do for us. Right? It's what money can do. And, and you know, you always read those memes like where, you know, uh, you know, they say money can't buy happiness, but money buys dirt bikes. I've never seen anybody on a dirt bike that wasn't happy, right? You know, uh, like money can't buy happiness, but money can get you a, a, a vacation to, you know, to Cancun. And I've never seen anybody on the beach in Cancun that wasn't happy. So like th th there's a reality that money um, can, can bring fulfill uh, joy, um, it, but it's temporal. Money can bring a greater ease in life but it's temporal, and it will always reveal what our God is. And that's hard to hear, but it will always reveal what our God is, what we, uh, what we prioritize. Like, like I, I can tell, if you looked at how we spent our money, you would know what, is, what are our priorities. Now, they're not necessarily bad. Like, they, they, could be, they could be fine, but it still reveals what your priorities are. And so this is something that none of us can get away from. But it can so quickly, even though it's a necessity, it does and can provide some realm of security and comfort. But so quickly, it can become a God in our lives. There's this idea, a false idea, I believe, that if you, like, if you think if, if, like, that people who have a lot of money, they're the ones who struggle with money being their God. But I've seen wealthy people that it appears that money had no control over their lives. And I've seen people who didn't have much money where it had a tremendous amount of control over their lives. 
It's not, it's not about, it, it's about our hearts. It's not about the amount that we have. And I know some of you, you just, you can't embrace that. You're like, no, it is about the amount. And if I had this, then I would be happy. But that's just not true. Because when you get there, because that thing can't fulfill you, now you begin to look for something else. I mean, think about it. How many of you have ever, don't raise your hand, but you, you bought a new car or a really nice vehicle? And like for the first couple of days, there's a sense of fulfillment, right? That smell is just like, ah. And then a couple, like, couple of weeks, a couple of months later, it's just like you're on to the next thing, the next thing. And so money is a topic that is of fundamental importance. But one of the things that is so important that we remember is that God owns everything. Everything I have, all good gifts have been graciously given to me by God. Everything I have is on loan to me from God. He's created everything. He sustains everything. He owns everything. It's his. Now, I'm called to be a steward of what he has. And it reminds me of Psalms in Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What is that? The earth is God's and the fullness thereof, that's everything in it. The world and those who dwell therein. So the reality is even I myself have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ as a child of God. I am purchased. I'm owned by God. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 50, Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. You ever, I mean, you've heard people imply that the cattle on a thousand hills are God's so he can give and supply whatever we may need. That's true because everything we have is his. This is of fundamental importance that we understand this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, talks about God giving us the power and the wisdom to gain wealth. Like some of us think, sometimes people think they're so wise and that, that they were the ones who, but it's God who gives you the wisdom. Proverbs, or Deuteronomy 8 verse 17, Beware lest any of you say in your heart, By my power, and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You know what he says? Beware lest any of you say, it was my work ethic. It was my wisdom. It was my discipline. It was my wise choices. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. There are people who God has given a greater gift to attain Wealth, it's just, it's like you can see it. And, and, but God has done that for a purpose, and we're going to get to those in a moment. But I, I, we need to start there, that all things are given to us by the Father. And if you have a strong work ethic and, a, and an ability to just make things work, or, and God has just put his hand upon you, even that is a gift, and we can become very prideful and arrogant, and they're like, well, I was the one who figured it out, and I was the one who did all the work. Well, yeah, but God gave you the ability and the strength and the wisdom. 
So we're like, well, why didn't God give that to me? I don't know. <laughs> but, but he gives certain things. You know, people, and I, I don't, we don't know why he chooses to give one thing to one person and something else to someone else. But you know, Proverbs says a lot about money. So Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 is where we will be, where we will start, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth. This the first little statement at the top of your outline. It says believers are wise with money to honor the Lord. The reason God would give us wisdom and finance is that we could honor the Lord with it. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That's what, that's what Solomon says. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your money, with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor God. So this is the idea of worshiping God. Honor is to pay homage, to worship God. We can worship God with our, with our finances, with our wealth, with the things that he has given us. Or we can use it for our own gratification. Okay? Now God has given us all things richly to enjoy. God does bless us so we can enjoy life. But he wants us to honor him with it. And then it comes with a promise. And we'll look at that a little bit later. He says, and then, and this really makes some uncomfortable because it begins to sound like prosperity gospel, right? Like, well, if you do this, then you get that. But I'm just reading you what God's word says. It says that if you honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So this is, again, we need to understand proverbs are probables. It's not an absolute promise. But the majority of the time when people honor the Lord with their money and they live with the biblical principles, things are going to go better for them than people who don't. That's what Solomon is saying. It's very clear. But God wants to make us, he wants us to use wisdom so we honor him with our money, so we honor him with our wealth. Remember, Deuteronomy 8, that it is the Lord that gives us the wisdom to gain it. Why does he do that? So we will honor him with it. Now, again, this is honor. It's, it's a, worship God with your money. Worship God with the resources that he's given you. That's why he wants us to be wise so we can bring him greater glory and we can worship him in a greater capacity. Honor the Lord with what you have. Now, how you handle your money is what, uh, what Solomon is saying. It can be an act of worship. It is an act of worship. It always is. But it could be an act of worshiping God, and it could be an act of worshiping your comfort or your enjoyment. See, you see it? it it's, and it's so subtle. And so this is why we desperately need the gospel and why we desperately need the Holy Spirit within our lives to bring conviction to us on a daily basis. Because so quickly, it, it's so easy. Like our hearts are what? Perpetual idol factories. And if you're like me, I, like I move from one thing to the next to the next. Anybody else? Like, there's this one thing, and, and once I get it, then I move to the next thing. Or finally I realize that that thing is a, an idol in my life, and I squish it, and I'm like, I don't need to have it, but I just move it to something else. Constantly moving from this thing to the next and the next, trying to find fulfillment and happiness and joy. And ultimately, that's because when that happens, when our worship is misplaced, it's because our relationship with the Lord is struggling. We begin to think that other things will bring us fulfillment and contentment. See, money does reveal what we worship. We can honor and worship the Lord with our lives, our time, 
our bodies, our money and possessions. That is why when we talk about giving in church, we talk about it as worship. This is one of the, like, here's a really strong scriptural support for giving as worship. And there's many times I hear people say, I never really thought about giving as worship. It's sacrificial. It's, but here's the thing we have to understand, though. It, it's not mine. It's not mine. I'm giving out of the abundance and blessing that he's giving me back to him. And, and so it's worship. It's just like in the Old Testament when, now this is giving to the Lord in the New Testament church or in the New Covenant is nothing like an Old Testament sacrifice. It's nothing like that, okay? But understand, like in the Old Testament, they brought things to the Lord to sacrifice them as an act of worship. So that's why giving and how we handle our finances is an act of worship. It's a way that we worship. Matthew 6, Matthew 6, verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, we've all heard that. We've all heard that a lot. But have we heard it so much we don't really hear it? Like, l- let me read it again. No one can serve two masters, for either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't. It's Jesus' words. Like, you can't. Like, and so this is about worship. And so you're either worshiping money or you're worshiping the Lord. I really believe that's what Jesus is boiling it down to that clearly. That, that, that concise. Honor the Lord with your money. It takes wisdom. See, so much of the sin in our lives comes from misplaced worship. The, result, the majority of Christian counseling is just finding the idol and smashing it. If you have sexual addictions, there's an idol somewhere that needs smashed. That, or there's, there's a functional savior. See, like for us, like for some, alcohol or substances become a functional savior. For others, money and possessions, uh, a new house, uh, a new kitchen, uh, just like, like it just never ever stops because we're constantly looking for something else to fill us that only God can fill. Because our hearts are perpetual idol factories. That's why he says, honor the Lord with your wealth, worship him with that. You can't serve both God and money. See, breaking of the moral law or the Ten Commandments, the first one is what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not have any other gods before him. But now if you do a a careful analysis of your own life, how often, if you were really honest with yourself, I honestly, of the, of the Ten Commandments, that's the one we break the most. That's why his mercies need to be new every morning. Because every day, I move from this to this to this. The next to the next to the next. It's misplaced worship. And so we must honor the Lord with our wealth and with our, our money. You know, it also says, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. But again, I, I, when it says thou shalt not covet, I feel so convicted. Because 
no matter what I, I'm just going to be really honest. No matter what I drive, someone has something so much nicer. And here's the thing that really gets me so much faster. I just, I just, I, it just, and I, I, but what is it for you? If you're like, well, I don't struggle with, maybe, maybe cars aren't your thing. Maybe, like, I don't know what's your thing. But if you look at thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not covet, do you see how quickly the good things that God has created, money's neutral. It's the love of money that is a problem. Believers are to be wise with money to honor the Lord. So now I'm going to give you four principles, kind of compare, contrast, that Proverbs really lays out if we're going to be wise with money. Number one, planning versus haste. Planning or haste. So Proverbs is going to talk about those who plan, who are wise, and those who are foolish. They're just hasty with money. They're just, like, just unwise with the Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20, verse 21. Proverbs 20, verse 21. Says, an inheritance <clears throat> gained hastily in the beginning <clears throat> will not be blessed in the end. <clears throat> this is why parents who have a lot of money, it's a good thing to leave an inheritance for your kids. But you should be very wise. You should put stipulations on when they can get it, how quickly they can get it, especially if they're younger. There's these things you should put in place. But the other thing I would say to, to parents who are like aging out, like there is so much money sitting in the evangelical church today, in the boomer generation, just a massive amount of wealth in the evangelical church, in the boomer generation. And so many of them are going to leave 100% of it to children who do not hold a biblical worldview. Now, that's hard to hear, but if you want to be wise steward and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, you better be careful that what you leave behind is used for the kingdom and the glory of God. If not, you maybe ought to consider doing something different, because we're going to get to in a moment about storing treasures up in heaven, and you can be really reckless with an inheritance. But he does say here, a wealth, he talks about this, um, an inheritance gained hastily. In the beginning, will not be blessed in the end. It reminds me of the prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He asked his father for his inheritance before his father had even died, which was so disrespectful. He took it. His father gave it to him. He took it, and he went to a far land, and he squandered it. He wasted it. And in the end, he had to come back begging for mercy. See, haste with money is not wise. Planning is wise. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead to prosperity. Like, there are people who just make really wise financial plans, and, it's, and they're diligent. They're, they're, they're diligent about it, but those who want to be hasty with money, and you know, how do we see haste today? I was reading some stats this week that one of the reasons... Like so many people are in financial struggle is because when they move out, whether they're in their 20s or like whenever they move out of their parents' home, they think that they should have the same standard of living almost immediately. The same standard of living that your parents have worked for for generations. And they're like, so what do they do? They finance. Uh, it's haste. I, I need it now. I want it now. I don't really have the money, but I believe that one day I will. And they just bury themselves in this mountain of debt because they want things that they don't have money for, and there's no plan. I'm amazed that, you know, one of the, one of the things that you, if you, 
There's a wisdom in the multitude of counselors. It's amazing how often people don't want financial counsel. They don't want anybody looking at their finances and they don't want counsel. Why? Because we're ashamed. But the majority of people that I know that have a lot of money have often a multitude of financial counselors. They're planning. They're strategizing. Wisdom makes a plan. Um, See, being in a hurry causes debt. Proverbs 28, verse 20. You can turn there if you like, or you can just write these down and look at them later this week. Proverbs 28, verse 20. A faithful man... Will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Just a hurry to be rich, because you're seeing a moment that if you're in a hurry to be rich, you end up being unethical. You end up doing things that are sinful. And so, like planning and like wise people plan. That's why, like this Proverbs twenty-eight. Verse 20, he says, where faithful man will abound with blessing, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. That's why it's so foolish to gamble or play the lottery. It's so foolish. Like, and it's amazing. It's amazing how many times. I had somebody the other week tell me, like, they literally said to me, because I'm the mall pastor. I said to me, oh, Pastor Steve, um, I just got to tell you this great blessing that I had this week. I hope this person isn't in the hall right now, but they're not. I know their schedule's here. But um, she said, I went down to the shortstop or whatever and bought this lottery ticket and Scratched it off, and I won $500, and so I got new glasses, and I got new shoes, and she's like carrying bags of shoes. She literally was, and um, I, I just left her go, but I want to say, well, how many of those have you bought before you won that one? You know, it's amazing how the enemy just entices, and so this desire to get rich quick, it leads to ruin in the end. That's why you've heard it said over and over, those who win large sums of money in the lottery, it's only a matter of time till the, the majority of them file bankruptcy, because wealth gained hastily doesn't last. It doesn't last. It, it's not planned. It's um, Proverbs 24, 27. Proverbs 24, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. This is just talking about planning. If you're a farmer, you're moved into a new area. Um, like what he's saying is like, like, don't just go build your house. Plant your crops. Like get those things taken care of that will reproduce for you. And then build your house. It's just talking about planning. We, we have to plan. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it planning or haste. Wise people plan. Foolish people are hasty in trying to attain. Number two, um, wise people are ethical. Foolish people are unethical. Ethical versus unethical. Ethical, this means that they honestly, um, that, they, that they're honest, they conform to the Lord's standards. Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, verse 18. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. There are those who are ethical in their work, and there are those who are unethical. How could we be unethical when we work or deceptive with our wages? Like, um, okay, if you work for somebody and you, you put down more hours than you actually worked. And I think one of the things that can be a real struggle is like, sometimes we feel like if we're on the job, we're working. Well, not necessarily. See, and, and like one of the ways that we can be deceptive and, on, and dishonest and unethical with our wages if, is if what, the way we work is different when the boss is there than when he's not there. Does it make sense? But like, that's convicting, right? Like, like the way we work depends on who's watching. 
So again, it's just a super simple. Proverbs is so simple. Proverbs 13, verse um, 18. Proverbs 13, verse 18. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. But whoever heeds reproof is honored. Like again, this is those who, who won't listen to instruction, who won't listen to their, their employer wherever they work, it will lead, it's unethical, and it leads to its foolishness. Proverbs 21, verse 20. Proverbs 21, verse 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. It's just like, this is again just talking about someone who, he's unethical. He, he uses his resources foolishly. This is even a guy who maybe has his own resources, but he uses them foolishly. And it's unethical. Proverbs 16, verse 11 talks about honesty. A just balance and scales are the Lord's are the Lord's, and all the weights in the bags are his work. Like He's saying here that a just scale, like it's right, it's ethical to have a just scale and an unjust scale. So in the, back in those days, if you were going to go buy something, they measured it by weight. But an unjust, someone who was unethical when they were selling something would make the scales out of balance. So it would make it look like you were getting more than you actually were getting. And God's like, it's unethical, it's unjust, it's ungodly. It, it's unwise and God doesn't bless that. And I could go on and on reading scriptures about the unjust scales because it must have been a big thing in that day. But how does that play out today? Well, like if, if you're, if, like let's just say you're having a project done at your home and you're just constantly trying to squeeze a little bit more out of your contractor, a little bit more than he promised to do. Or you take your car to the garage and you get it fixed and then you just try to get a little bit more work out of them than what they actually what you're actually paying for. Does that make sense? Where you're always just trying to nickel and dime people down. Now, if you, live, if, if you live or you go to a culture in a society where you go to a market and you barter, now that's a lot of fun, right? But that's not our culture. That's not our culture. So uh, again, there's, we can handle money ethically, honestly, or dishonest. Proverbs 20, verse 17. 20, verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet. To a man, but afterward his mouth is full of gravel. There are those who gain wealth by being deceptive, deceiving people. It's unethical. It's unwise. It's foolish. In Proverbs 20, verse 14, it says, Bad, bad says, bad, bad says the buyer, but when he goes away, he boasts. This is the guy who strikes a hard bargain and he, and he tells them why the thing that he's purchasing is no good and why they should sell it for less. But then when he goes away, he's like boasting them for how cheap he got it. It's unethical. Like you know what you're doing and you shouldn't do it. Um, there's all kinds of things. We could just go on and on in Proverbs. But God blesses honesty and God blesses hard work. That brings us to point number three. Dilig diligence versus laziness. Diligence, diligent versus lazy. Proverbs 14, verse 23. In all toil there is profit, but bare talk only leads to poverty. Uh, what do you... And all toil, there's profit. Like those who work hard, there's profit in that. But laziness or mere talk and they only lends to poverty. That's the person who talks a big talk but doesn't do anything. Right? So there's the difference between those who are diligent and those who are lazy. Obviously, the diligent are wise, the lazy are fools. Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 11. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. <clears throat> 
says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, any officer, or any ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food for the harvest. He's like, just watch the ants. If you want to know what it is to be diligent, just watch the ants. Have you ever sat outside and watched just these rows of ants working together, carrying stuff? I was down in Nicaragua about, I don't know, it was um, a year and a half or so ago, and I was in this little village, and I went for a walk one Sunday afternoon in between Sunday morning service and something we were doing in the evening. And when I was out walking, I saw these ants, but they were big ants. Like, they're just, like, they're not, like, they're, like, big ants. They look like they might carry, might carry a small child away. They weren't quite that big, but they were big. And I looked at them, and there was just a row of them going. But there was two rows. It was outstanding. Like, there was a row going this way and a row going this way. And there was, like, two lanes. And, and I followed it. And it, it, they were going up in this tree, and they were coming, and they were eating leaves out of the tree. And then they were coming down, and you could see them carrying them back. Like, they were going several blocks. And so what... Solomon's just saying, like, look at the ant, you sluggard. Look at how they work. They just do their job. They just get in a row, and they just march. Like, they just, they just do their job. And one of, the th- one of the things that's such a problem in such an individualistic culture as America, we don't want to just fall in line so often. We don't want to just do it. We want to be this somebody that we're not or that God didn't even intend us to do. It's just like, go to the ant. Look how they work, how diligent they work. Proverbs 6, going on, a little sleep, verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 9. He goes, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, like want and want like an armed man. He's just saying, like, if, if it's really simple. Like, if you can't get out of bed, if you're just like, Five alarms later, it's, it's, I mean, this is super convicting, but super practical. Like, there, there are mornings, how many of you, they, I just don't feel like getting out of bed. But, you know, he's like the diligent, the wise, just get up. They get up, they get going, they, they're productive. This is just so practical, so simple. In Proverbs 22, verse 13, I love this. Lazy people make all kinds of excuses. Make all kinds of excuses. The sluggard says there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. It reminded me of a friend of mine. Um, he's a lot of employees. And, you know, last week when all that smoke was just like inundating us from Canada, um, he has several hundred employees, uh, several hundred employees. And he said multiple, the day that it was worse, he had multiple employees call in because they couldn't come to work because the smoke was so bad. And he said, the percentage of them who smoke one to two packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> There's smoke in the streets. Like, oh, okay, like, but you're smoking, my friend. Like, that, like, that's what he's saying. Like, it's just, you, you're making excuses that aren't valid. And, and we do it all the time. And there's a difference between diligence and lazy. Proverbs 26, 14. 26. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in his bed. And the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. It's like the guy who reaches in for something, but he's, too, he's just too lazy to even bring it to his mouth to eat. Now, I've, I've been lazy already, but I don't know about that lazy. And right now, like, who got the peanut M&M's? Anybody else just like to get a handful of peanut M&M's and just like, you get one or two and then you just, one or two, Yeah. I never have it. When I have peanut M&M's in my hand, I have no problem getting them back up here, right? And it's just no problem. All right, number four. 
We're going to spend a bit of time here before we close. Generous versus greedy. Generous versus greedy. Back to Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is a this is a promise that if you, a probable that if you are wise if, with your money, if you handle it in a way that honors the Lord, if you are ethical and you um, use it in a way that worships God and you're ethical with it and you're diligent uh, and that you are generous, God will bring blessing. Now, again, this, this makes some of us nervous because it begins to sound like we're talking about prosperity gospel. I'm not. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Just what the Bible says. Now, it doesn't promise that all will be wealthy. It's just saying that largely, if you follow these principles, things are going to go better for you financially. And that you can't, here's what I need to, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. You know, and, and I'm so thankful. I am so thankful. But to be a pastor, I stepped away from a very lucrative business. And, and I enjoy the business. And some days I just want to get in a truck, pickup truck Monday morning and, and I pull my mixer and go back out there and have Karn bring me blocks and lay blocks all day. Like that's what, some days I just, but God has given back so richly. But if you think he gives back always finances for finances, you're wrong. He has given me something so much more, more better. Something so much better than finances. And the church takes good care of my family. I'm not saying that. All four of my children love the Lord. They're walking with the Lord. I have a great marriage. We have a nice home. We have friends that love us. God, you can't outgive God. But if you think that your barns will be filled and your vats are filled always means that your bank account's going to be full, you've missed the greatest blessings of God. Generous versus greedy. Generous. Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and he who waters will he himself be watered. Now this is, you need to understand, when he says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. I believe everyone who grows, gives freely, grows richer. I believe that. But I don't believe the richer is always money. I remember back in November of 2017, some of you heard the story before, we started, uh, we launched the church in Champezi, Uganda, Rock Hill. And I remember when Pastor Peter was giving, taking the offering. And in Africa, when you take an offering, and actually the majority of the world, when you take an offering, the baskets are up front and you bring it to the front as an act of worship. Because that's actually what they did in the New Testament church. That's what they did in the book of Acts. But I remember this little widow lady who didn't have anything to give but she refused to be robbed of her blessing and she brought this little avocado tree with a little dirt ball in a shopping bag and I have a video and pictures of it she was so pleased to give that to Pastor Peter she refused to be robbed I remember times over there where people would bring a head of cabbage to church because they refused to be robbed of the blessing generous generous 
versus greedy. Do you remember the story in the Gospels where Jesus was standing back watching people putting money into the offering? And there was this woman, this widow, this poor old lady brought two mites. She dropped it in the plate. And the Lord says to the disciples, you see that lady? She gave more than everybody else. Because everybody else gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her desperate. Like, that's all she had. She put the last in there. Sacrificial giving. See, sometimes people who give small amounts, but it's a large percentage, is way more generous than someone who gives huge amounts of money away. Generous versus greedy. It's a principle, though, that brings blessing. It brings blessing. Proverbs 23, verse 6 and 7. God's word is so clear on this. Being generous brings blessing. Proverbs 23. Do not eat the bread of a stingy, of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says, but his heart is not with you. This is the greedy, stingy person. You ever around those people? Like, like, like they're for sure not going to pay their fair share. Like they're, like, like they're maybe giving something to you, but like, like deep down inside, you know they don't really want to. Or maybe that's you. Like you're, you're, you're acting like you're being generous, but your heart isn't generous at all. There's a difference between greedy and stingy. Matthew 6, Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do no longer break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, that's why our money reveals where our heart is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if you like whatever you invest in, that's what you're going to be passionate about. And so like if you don't if you don't invest in the things of God, you won't be passionate about the things of God. It's very clear. Whatever you invest in. And he's saying, but here's the thing, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay them lay them up in heaven. There like every one of us when we die. Everything we have will be just left here. It's not coming with. But if we invest in kingdom-minded things, it's like literally we are laying up money ahead for us, ourselves. It's like if, if you would come to America from a, from a third world country and you had five years to work and to make money, and then you had to go back to, to Africa for the rest of your life. You had five years so this person comes and they get a good job and they're making really good money. So they start buying cars and they start going on vacations and they start building houses and they have all these things and all of a sudden they're shipped back to Africa, but everything has to stay here. Or they could make money and live modestly and pay it ahead so that when they go back to Africa, they have something left. And that's literally the principle that Jesus is saying. I remember a story in the book, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. He gave a, an idea, this, this concept of like, back in the Civil War, if you were in the South and you had Confederate money, the wisest thing you could have done if you knew the war was coming to an end and you were losing was to what? Cash that stuff in. Get rid of it. Because then in like two days, it's going to be of no value. The same is true of us. The moment we die, everything we have, everything we've acquired, everything we live in, everything we drive is gone. It is of no value to us anymore. 
We could pay it forward. Do you remember, how many of you have seen the movie Schindler's List? It's a man who had some financial means. And um, he had these Jews working for him that he used his resources to purchase, basically, to purchase the freedoms. And in the end, when his money was gone, and I think he saved like 1100 maybe. But at the end, he began to weep because he said, I could have done more. I could have done more. And somebody who worked for him said, like, you've done enough. Like, you did everything you could do. He said, no, look at that car. I could have sold it and bought 10 more. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. I am not promoting a poverty gospel or a prosperity gospel. Because there's this idea that it's more righteous to be poor. That's not true. Or that you got, you're, on greater of God, you, like you're under a greater blessing of God if you have greater finances. That's not necessarily true either. Be faithful and generous with what God has given you. 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 1 and 2, Paul gives us some very clear things when it comes to giving. 1 Corinthians 16, now concerning the collection as for the saints as I directed the, the church in Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Each of you should, is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so there will be no collecting when I come. So there's just some simple principles of generosity here that I want you to see from that real quickly. Um, that that you can see like generosity is regular on the first day of every week. There's, there's a regularity to this, this generosity. Generosity should be a normal part of our life. It's, it's regular. Um, it's personal. Each of you on the first day of, every, of the week, each of you. So it's regular. It's personal. Um, and then he says, each of you should give as you have been prospered. It's in proportion to what you have. It's in proportion. God loves a cheerful giver. We're going to see in a moment in 2 Corinthians. God loves a cheerful giver, but we are to give in proportion. Now, I would submit to you, like people get really caught up on the technicalities of, are we under the old covenant, the new covenant, grace giving versus tithing? How many of you have ever heard those arguments? Like, I would just say to all of those, like whatever. It's, it's, if, if you want to get caught up in technicalities, I think it reveals our heart. And I would submit to you that if the standard in the Old Testament under the old covenant was 10%, how could we possibly think the standard of the new covenant would be any less than that? When he's given us all things richly to enjoy. And the third thing that we see from in 2 Corinthians then is that giving is, is a privilege. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And we've always, I've said this for years, like God doesn't like grumpy money. Like if you can't give it with joy, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do it. Like if you can't give it with joy, but that reveals, I believe, idolatry in our hearts. Where our hearts are not in line with the things of God. And when Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6, that the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He's, he's really probably quoting Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 that we quoted earlier. He's just quoting Proverbs. Giving generously is rewarded. It's a biblical principle. 
It's a biblical principle. Now, I just have to say this in closing. This is in no way a corrective sermon for this church because this church has been so generous. I cannot, I, I would never have imagined seven or eight months into this that we would be where we are financially. What we would have, I, I would never, so this is not corrective in any sense. And I have no idea who does what, who gives, who doesn't. I don't know. And, and I prefer it that way. I'm just preaching God's word. And it can be a really heavy topic. It really can. Because it confronts every one of us in some way. And it's hard to hear. But my desire is that, you know, we exist to bring glory to God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And that is to make disciples. How we handle our money is a clear mark of the maturity of our discipleship. And I want for you as good stewards to be generous because I want for you that when you get to heaven, you have something laid up for you. That you've paid it forward and that you've been generous. But the reality is all of our hearts are perpetual idol factories. We're constantly searching. And it reminds me of this song by you too. I have climbed the highest mountains. I've run through fields. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled city walls. You know the next line? But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's true, right? If we're all honest, we're constantly searching, we're scaling, we're running, we're looking, but we still haven't found what we're looking for because we've been created for heaven. This is not our home. This is temporary. So let's live in a way that honors the Lord with our wealth, that is generous. Let's be ethical. Let's be diligent. Let's be generous. Let's worship and honor God with our money because it brings him glory. And so we have something to look forward to. But as we close, we must remember that God is the most generous of all. John 3, 16. I mean, it's just like every coffee cup verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God gave, God gave. God is a giving, generous God. He gave his very best. He gave his son. Jesus laid down his life for us that we may be forgiven, redeemed, have fellowship with God, be friends of God so we can have a home in heaven, a room in the Father's house, like all these things he gave to us. And so we take communion this morning remembering of how generous God was towards us, how benevolent he was towards us. And we remember Christ's body broken, his blood shed for us, for, the, for our redemption. But communion is for Christians. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you've not yet received the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we would just ask that you not participate in this part of our service. Because if you take communion as an unbeliever, Scripture says you will eat and drink judgment upon yourself, and we don't want that for you. But also for Christians, just a reminder, for those of you who attend regularly, if you are living in willful, unrepentant sin, I would just ask you not take communion. Because Scripture also says that as a believer, if you are living in willful, unrepentant sin, that we all sin. We all battle the same things, but there's a difference to where we just resign ourselves to just live in that sin. I would ask that you not take communion this morning and that you would repent. But let's remember what Jesus has given for us. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And when he had given thanks, 
he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you that you are a giving God, a gracious and kind God. God, I thank you that you've given us all things richly to enjoy. I pray that we would honor you with our wealth, that we would worship you with our wealth. Thank you for the good gifts that you've bestowed upon us. Thank you for how great, just how you have provided so well for us as a church, the blessings you've bestowed upon us. We thank you and we praise you. God, I thank you for the gift of money and resources. I pray that we would use it to honor you as individuals and as a church. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week. See you next week. Remember, we have a mission. And above all, put on and act in love.